So if you need to take two weeks to produce a really rich, amazing piece of content, you can do that. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 75. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. We're banging the drum about content again. Boom, 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 boom. That was my me and my little drum impression for you. Can't wait till we get some sound effects. That's all I have to say. <laughs> That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? <laughs> hey, this is Rob and Kennedy. Hello. From Response Suite. Back again once in your lug holes. And we are talking about content. Obviously, podcast content seems good. Everyone's talking about, about content. One of my questions about content is, is it a thing that we sort of create a bit of stuff now and where does the bit of stuff that we're creating now fit into the long-term future of a thing? So for example, I don't know about you, but when you create content, I think I'm going to create that bit of that, that blog post or that podcast episode. And it's great because we can bang it out on across the social medias. We can tweet about it and Instagram about it and do all that sort of stuff. And we get like this big rush, this surge of people consuming that bit of content. But I feel like the stuff we're creating, because it doesn't actually get deleted. It's not like we go back in time over the past episodes and delete them. There's, there's, there needs to be some kind of remains of it sort of floating about and we need to still stay, still see people consuming that bit of content. So how, how does it fit into the long term? And this all has to fit into some sort of system as well. So you have to know that whether you're starting out today or you've been doing content marketing for ages, mm. it has to feel like it's part of a bigger ecosystem somewhere and like everything slots together somehow. Yes. And uh, so that's all of the questions or some of the questions that Pamela is going to be answering. As part yeah, of we're going to be talking about a short term, midterm, how to take what you're already doing and push it in there. But before we get into any of that stuff... We're going to go over to Rob's all-important quote of the week. Yes, because as they say, when butterflies eat, trees grow. You see that warm tingling feeling inside, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. Now, we, obviously, as you know, Rob and I have been obsessed with email marketing since the very beginning of our journeys doing this online marketing thing. Email is without a doubt one of the most powerful things that we can all do. But if you're anything like us, you've probably noticed that the response rate that you're getting from your emails is not like it was in the golden age. Mm. You could just bang out any old email and go, and, hey, would you want to buy this thing? And a whole bunch of people would actually go and buy that thing. That it doesn't work quite so well these days. And that's because of a whole bunch of reasons, mostly that we're not sending out the most engaging content we possibly could. And we don't have an email marketing strategy. And so to help you with that, we're hosting a really great web class. We're really proud of it. Yeah, this has really been our kind of life's work condensed into a free web class. We're going to teach you a really simple email campaign broken down into three simple steps. You can take this, start implementing it straight away to get more sales, not only from your subscribers you've already got, but also from every new subscriber as they come into your business as well. We're going to show you how to build it, how to automate the whole thing. uh, And it's really, really super powerful. So if you want to register for the web class, it's totally free. Just head over to responsesuite.com forward slash webinar, and you'll be able to jump on that. Dead easy, as easy as that. What else have we got to talk about before we get into the show today? Well, of course, if you haven't already left us a review here on the Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, then please make your time to do it. It'll only take you a couple of minutes. Just pop over to responsesuite.com forward slash iTunes, and you'll be able to do it on iTunes. Or, of course, you can leave it on your favorite podcast player, whatever it is that you're listening to us on right at this very moment. Now, if you've ever wondered if there's anything dodgy or embarrassing about me on the internet, we're going to talk in a second about a lovely photograph that is still floating around of me wearing something very silly. I'm going to do all of that right now in this episode with Pamela. Pamela, welcome to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. 
I am so thrilled to be here. It's a little dark in here. Can we turn some lights on? What? What are you doing down there? Stand up, stand up. Come toward the light. (laughs) We're so excited to have you here, Pamela, to talk about your approach to content marketing. Now, we want to start right back at the very beginning with your concept of this life cycle approach to content. Can you tell us, what is that? How does it work? You know, I developed this approach because I realized that content marketers need to change the way they think about their work depending on how old their website is. So if your website is very young, if it's maybe in the first year, you need to just publish content. And that's partly because you need Google and the search engines to find you and recognize what your website is about. But it's also so that you can gain skill as a content creator. So it's all about establishing that foundation in the first year. That's what I recommend, that people just publish something every week if they can pull it off and start kind of developing their content marketing chops, as we say. Hold up, Pamela. Are you saying that we're actually allowed to go out there and just start throwing stuff at the internet without sitting in a darkened room writing a strategy for a fortnight? I do think that your strategy is something that can develop as you work. I'm all about kind of working in public and practicing in public and learning as you go along. So I don't think you should be quite as random as just throwing things out on the internet. I do ask people to think through what is your big topic and what categories do you want to touch on as you're writing. So those things are important, but there's a certain amount of just learning as you go that you can't make happen until you publish, until you actually put things out there. So yeah, to a certain extent, absolutely. I think you you shouldn't shouldn't overthink things. You should really put it out there and and then just see what resonates with people. Does that make sense? It makes sense. One of the things I'm thinking is a lot of our listeners and our, us ourselves are from that old school, maybe old school, I don't know, from that school of thought of direct response marketing rather than put content out, out, out there, spread some love on the world, everything's going to be lovely, people are probably going to buy, maybe. For you personally, what's the argument for content marketing that everyone seems to be talking about? Well, here's the thing that's important to know. I am really writing for people who are not professional marketers. So maybe if you take that in context, then it's a little more understandable. So if I was to ask my readers to create a marketing strategy before they write a single word of content, they would never write a single word of content. (laughs) So what I do is I try to walk them through this very simple process of get to know your ideal customer, get yourself inside their heads, try to understand what they need and want, and then just start writing. Don't overthink it. Don't feel like you have to have this complex plan that you develop because the people I write for don't don't have the skills to develop that kind of plan. So what I recommend is this system where they the plan kind of develops as they're writing and as they're seeing what resonates and as they're reading comments and answering questions. So you're kind of learning from the audience as you go. You're learning from the audience that naturally develops. I guess what I'm really interested to know is that 12 months that you mentioned, is that a pretty fixed, right? This is kind of how long it takes to get your your feet feet in the door with Google and this is going to get you what you want. Or 
if somebody just goes out there and just by sheer fluke, they happen to create all, you know, natural skill, they happen to create loads of great content, they suddenly build an audience really fast, maybe that could expedite that 12 months. Are we looking for, is 12 months like a thing or are we, are we looking for some sort of progress in that 12 months? What's like the, what's the benchmark for when it's now time to move into like the next phase? You, yeah. I mean, if I knew what Google Google wanted, I I would be in a completely different business. <laughs> so <laughs> when I figure that out, I'll let you know. But um, I I think the benchmarks, the way I teach them, is basically I want people to feel confident as content creators. I want them to feel like they really understand their audience. They have seen a pattern as far as what is getting feedback from people, what's resonating with the audience they want, and and what is getting shared more. I mean, they're just paying attention to Google Analytics to see what people are visiting on their websites and then social shares and things like that that are, you know, they're kind of vanity metrics, but they do give us a little bit of information about what is resonating with our audiences. So... I want people at the end of that year, or like you said, maybe they get lucky and it happens in eight months. Um, But what I want them to feel like is, okay, I've got this and I understand what people want and I, it's, it's getting traction. It's building an audience. Um, One of the things that I like about the year point is that even if you take a couple weeks of vacation at the end of the year, you have 50 published pieces of content on your website. Mm. And that's amazing. That is fantastic. And you've also gone through the publication process 50 times. So it's 50 chances to practice your content marketing skills. And so that's one of the reasons I like that one-year point. That seems really interesting. because A lot of people, I know that our listeners and us ourselves can be from that whole run an ad and get results kind of thing from it. So what kind of results, if we're going to shift into this marketing, in this content marketing approach, like it's very easy to like kick off a blog or, I mean, first of all, do you, is it a blog that we're really talking about? Is that the best platform? Or are we best to publish, I don't know, stuff on, I don't know, LinkedIn as articles? Or? I guess to, uh, alongside that, is it just written content or is there other media that fits yeah. into this too? Right. So in the book, I talk about content as being a lot of things. It can be written content, but it could also be a podcast like this one. It could be a vlog, so a YouTube series. Mm-hmm. It can, it, the medium doesn't matter so much. Um, a lot of what I teach is about creating a content outline that you can follow, which even if you're your final piece ends up being audio or video, typically you have some kind of written outline. You have a some kind of general structure that you're following. Mm. So I do recommend that people start with some kind of writing. Um, but I, I would say it, it, the final product doesn't matter so much. It's more about the consistency, building a connection with your audience, understanding what they want. All right. So going back to the life cycle, do you have a certain number of phases that are in this life cycle, like the circle of life? So like we, we know that first one is just 12 months of that content, 12 right? months. That's get, that gets kind of throws some stuff out, get feedback from our audience, figure out what sort of sits well with them, what they share, what they like, what they engage with. What's the, what does the rest of the future look like for us? Right. So there's three big phases. I kind of divided it up into these three phases. So in years two through five, what I recommend is that people at that point can 
Well, this is the analogy I used. If I was training you, if I was training you as a, let's say a runner, and, and we had worked together for a full year, once you had a year of training under your belt, I'm going to start to give you some extra challenges because I know that you have the basics down and now I want to, now I'm going to put some hurdles in your way and ask you to jump hurdles or I'll ask you to do a certain amount of sprints or I'm, I'm just going to change it up to continue to build your skill set. So that's really what I'm recommending that people challenge themselves with once they have that content foundation established on their website. So years two through five, what I recommend is that you look for ways that you can add multimedia to your content. Maybe you look for ways to make your content like deeper dives, so more more in-depth, maybe you have more research behind it, maybe it's a little bit longer than it was before. Mm -hmm. And I also recommend that people look for ways to expand their message onto other platforms. So if it is, if it's a podcast, then you look for a way to put it onto YouTube. If it is a YouTube vlog, then you're maybe you start publishing it regularly on LinkedIn if that's where your audience is, or you push excerpts out to Instagram or something like that. So you look for a way to take your basic content now that you have that skill set and you know you can produce the content. Now you look for ways that you can do a little bit more. And the other thing I recommend at this stage is because this longer deep dive multimedia content takes longer to produce, I tell people if you need to dial back and publish maybe every other week instead of every single week, you can do that because you've already established what your website is about. You have a full year's worth of content that you've created. So if you need to take two weeks to produce a really rich, amazing piece of content, you can do that. That's really, really interesting. I think you can just dial it back and dial it back and dial it back. Have you got any tips for us? There's nothing worse than when you first start off a blog or you start off a YouTube channel or heck, a podcast. And you know the only person listening to it is your mum and maybe her friend Sandra is tuning in too. How do you keep yourself motivated when you know that your viewership is kind of in the early stages, you're not getting very much going on, you're certainly not getting many shares and likes and all the stuff that gives you the ego boost how do you keep yourself going for that 12 months? Yeah, you know, that's one of the reasons I really emphasize growing your skills as a content creator because you may not have a whole lot to show in terms of how many people are listening or how many people are reading or subscribed, but you should be able to notice that as the months go on, the whole process becomes easier. I bet even though your mom and Sandra were your only two listeners at the beginning, by yeah. the second or third month, you were feeling like, okay, we, I got this thing. And I know the two of you have a whole process that you follow to get your podcast created. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that was part of what you were doing in those early months. So even though you may not have a huge number of listeners to look at, you can say, I have made progress as a creator. 
I'm a better creator than I was when I first started out. This is easier for me. I, it feels more natural. It's the a bit like the are, artist, isn't it? The artist exactly. is more fulfilled. Like yes. the artist's work is becoming better and it feels better. I mean, our first ever episodes, holy moly, we were like, hello. And question number one <laughs> is that there is, a, there is a thing. As entertainers, as a hypnotist and a mind reader, we now get the luxury of performing on beautiful theater stages and at big corporate events. But back in the early days, when you start out, you'll perform anywhere that's got some people in it because you need somewhere to be bad. You yeah. need somewhere where you can go out. And, exactly. and if you're creating content that's not going to be your finest work back in the early days, that's okay. If not that many people are seeing it, that's the time to not be that good at it. <laughs> and you know what's really interesting is you'd think that, oh, because you're confident at delivering presentations, whatever it is you do in your normal everyday job, like Rob's on stage hypnotizing people and making them do funny things, you'd think, well, he'd be fantastic on a podcast. But I can tell you now, if you listen back to our early episodes, our first episodes were ropey because as soon as you change context, Everything goes out the window. Absolutely everything mm -hmm. goes out the window. You have to start again, don't you? So we know but that's that such a beautiful thing to be willing to be a beginner all over again in, in a new medium and try something different. And like I said, practice in public. I really think that, that there's something to that. I even talk in the book about, you know, we build our websites. Imagine you're in a theater and you're behind, you're on stage, but the curtain is closed. So you're backstage. Nobody can see what you're doing. You're building your website. You're very nervous about pulling open that curtain and publishing your website and making it live. And finally, you, you screw up your courage and you pull open that curtain and your mom and Sandra are in the audience and that's it. And they're slow clapping. Yes, your website is published. and. You know, that's amazing, actually, because in the early days, you will make mistakes. So how wonderful that you can make mistakes when no one is watching. Right. Although the internet never deletes it. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to get found. That awful, <laughs> awful picture of you wearing a cap backwards looking like a hooligan. Um, will resurface. I'm speaking from personal experience here. Yeah, I know. I can't help you with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you get that job for Google, though, I'm sure you can make some things disappear. <laughs> I will. I'll let you know. That's it. One of the things you, you talk about as well in the book, particularly, is this concept of some very important content. And there are some key ingredients that go into this thing that you call very important content. Can you give us it? Yes. Yes. So very important content is actually what I want people to start focusing on in that middle life cycle section in so that middle stage. Right. So, and then there's this third stage, which is year six and beyond. And that's also a focus of that stage because at that point you start to become almost like a librarian. You have this massive library of content and you need to be making sure that you surface it and you get it in front of people. So very important content is what you want to aim for in those two stages because uh, very important content is content that is more in-depth. It tends to have multimedia. It tends to be um, content that has resonated and maybe you've gone back and you've updated it and added things to it so that it will get in front of a fresh audience. You are interlinking, you're doing a lot of interlinking, and that means you are linking back to previously published content, but you're also making sure that older content that is ranking is being linked forward to your newer content. 
That's so that kind of thing helps to make very important content. It, here's the thing I want people to think about. On any website, even on a huge website like Copyblogger, which I was managing the editorial on for a couple of years, there are superstar pieces of content. And then there's just everyday regular old content, right? <laughs> And, right? And that's fine. I mean, I'm sure when you look at your analytics, you have certain podcast episodes, of course, this one included. There are going to be superstar episodes, right? Yeah. And of course, right? So you want to make sure that you recognize that, that you don't have to publish, you know, like a home run piece of content every single time. But you do want to be aware of what are people responding to? What are they linking to? What are they visiting? What are they still talking about? And you go back and make those very important content pieces. So you add multimedia, you make sure you continue to share them on social media, mm. you, and there may be only 10 of them, and that's okay. You just want to make sure that you keep the spotlight on those pieces of content. Very, very cool. This is awesome. Now, because we've talked about the, it's time for Robin Kennedy's tenuous link of the week, by the way. Uh, because we, <laughs> we need have, a theme tune for that bit. Because we have, um, <laughs> we sing it. Because we have talked about the ingredients of very important content, we're now going to play this week's special game. Here's how it works we are going to describe the ingredients, I'll tell you what the ingredients are, that go into a number of different famous meals, right? And your job, Pamela, is simply to guess what the meal is. So let's make a meal meal out of this. So I think we've got nine on the list. We've got nine because we couldn't think of ten. We're going to rattle through, (laughs) and if you don't get it, just say pass, and that's okay too. That's okay. So here's your first meal. What am I talking about? It's got mince, or what you call in the States, ground beef. It's tomato, pasta, bechamel sauce, and cheese. I'm going to say bolognese sauce. It's close. It's not as lasagna. Oh, second one. Oh, lasagna. Love the, it. The second one is bacon, barbecue sauce, chicken, and cheese. Oh, that sounds nasty. I don't, it, I don't know if this is a British thing. That sounds nasty. This is. I think that might be a British thing because have we have a lot of barbecue sauce in Nashville and I've never heard of something with those ingredients. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you've got an amazing barbecue place in Nashville. Let's talk about that another time because I had the best barbecue sauce, barbecue food in my life in Nashville. But that was Hunter's Chicken. Mm, no, haven't heard of that one. Okay. The rest of them are pretty much uh, much more American, I think. Next one. Cream cheese, strawberries, sugar, and biscuits or cookies. Strawberry shortcake. I'll give yeah. it to you. Yeah, strawberry shortcake, strawberry cheesecake. I'll have that. Uh, oh, strawberry bread. cheesecake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here's an easy one. Here's an easy one. Bread, cheese, butter. Don't overthink it. Grilled cheese. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Apples, sugar, cinnamon, and pastry. Apple pie. Love it. Absolutely. Beef, onions, peppers, tortilla. Uh, a taco. Yeah, we'll burrito, give that. burrito, enchilada, Fajita, something like Fajita, that. Fajita, oh, wow. yes, oh, yes. So many things. I mean, that's base, That's the foundation of most Mexican food. Mexican, the yeah. ingredients you just <laughs> rattled off. Next one: cheese, bread, and pepperoni. Pizza. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is ground beef, cheese, tomato, lettuce, pickle, bread. Oh. Sounds a awful, doesn't it? Sub sandwich, maybe. It's a hamburger. 
A hamburger, okay. And last one. Crab meat, avocado, cucumber, seaweed, and sesame seeds. Sushi. Uh, yeah, well, it's a California roll, but we'll put it, we'll put it in there as well. Okay. <laughs> How many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six, six out of six nine. Out of nine. That's pretty good. Woo. Yeah. There we that's go. I, I'm glad I don't depend on doing that game well to make a living. That's all I can say. <laughs> six out of nine is, uh, yes, it's not great. But no, it, it was good. I enjoyed that. It was good fun. You're a good sport. So one of the things I want to talk about is about planning. Because one of the things we, we all bashed over the head with is you need to make a content plan. You need to make a content plan. You have a content strategy. Plan your content. Here's a book. That'll help you plan your strategy. For the next 12 months, is it a good idea to plan content for 12 months in advance? How, like, what's the planning look like? That, I love this question um, because I do think some people get caught up in planning and then they don't actually create content. So yeah. I usually plan about three months out. Wow. And yeah, um, but I keep it kind of loose, you know, I, I plan three months out. And the reason I do that is because my content marketing, and this is something that I don't think enough people talk about. Mm. We're not just talking about content creation here. We're talking about content marketing. And that marketing piece is really important because I'm using content to promote my online business. And because I'm using it to market my online business, I need to be aware of the things I'm planning on promoting in my online business when I'm looking at my content plan. So I typically plan about three months out and I take my calendar and I say, I know I'm going to promote this you know, the second week of the month and then this on the last week of the month. And then, and I, I just kind of plug in promotions, things I, I know that I want my audience to be thinking about. Right. And, and is I that, just, I mean, does that mean the content at that point when you're ramping up towards a promotion is going to start poking at pain points or like, how do you adjust the content to be appropriate to lead into that promotion? Absolutely. Yes. I think that there's an opportunity that you can make your content contain some of the elements of a good sales page or a sales letter where you are talking about the pain points. You're agitating the problem a little bit. So people start thinking about it and realizing, oh, that is an issue for me as well. And of course, you're letting people know there are ways that you can fix this, you know, and, and just get them thinking about it and, and build awareness that way. I think that there's a way to use content like that. I send my content out. I send my blog posts out to a list of people. So it, it feels like delivering a piece of valuable content, but obviously that content gets them thinking about something, thinking about a topic. And is, do you sending an email out to people for every single piece of content? Are you doing like a content summary? Cause I've seen it both ways. How do you prefer to do that in terms of the email element of that? I, I do both. So I am definitely at the six years and older website age. My site's been online for almost 10 years at this point. So mm-hmm. I'm publishing every other week. And when I publish a new post, I send out that, that blog post. So immediately, like right away, and not everyone on my email list opts to get blog post notifications. There's a section of the list that gets those. So I send them out 
to those people. And then I do have a weekly newsletter that goes out on Saturday morning. And if I have published a post that week, the main article is about that post. So there's two opportunities to get it in front of people who are on my email list. And are you still using the, the traditional sort of opt-in bribe to get people onto the list? Or is the reason for coming on your list purely receive my blog in your inbox? I have it a couple of different ways. I mean, there are places where they can sign up to get blog post updates and I'll send them a thank you gift. And then there are places like at the bottom of my blog post right now, there's a, a an opt-in sort of form that just says, hey, if you liked what you read, you can get these every other week. As soon as they're published, drop your name here. So um, because I figure if somebody gets to the bottom of the blog post, they were engaged enough to get to the bottom of a blog post. So it makes sense there. But yes, normally, I mean, you want to give people something in exchange as a thank you gift, I think. So we've talked about these three stages of the life cycle. Your first 12 months is just get loads of content out there. You'll find your voice, you'll find your way, you'll find your engagement, and that's great. And then from two to five, you start to become a bit more difficult, start to introduce different multimedia and that kind of thing. And then six plus, you really start to scale that. I guess the question I've got is, at what point does the sales fit into this? I realize the content can start to raise their objection, handle their objections and raise questions in their mind that might start to nudge at those pain points and that kind of thing. But I guess in terms of the, if somebody's kind of trying to take a bird's eye view of their business, where do we see where the sales fits into this? Because people might be worried in case they have to now like wait for 12 months before they can start selling stuff. So where does that fit in? Oh, yeah. Another good question. So I don't normally use content to directly sell. I use content to get people on my email list. I use it to agitate a problem. I use it to invite them to a webinar where I will sell something to them. I use it to move them into a funnel. So if I have a a product that they, for example, right now I have an on-demand webinar that's always available. So if I write about something around that topic, I'll say, hey, if you want to learn more, I have an on-demand webinar. It's free. Sign up here. And then once they move in that direction, then I sell. So I don't, I normally just use my content to deliver information, engage, build trust, build authority, and not necessarily sell. Right. It's almost like to the, to the public who are not, who haven't taken a step forward into your quote unquote world, they don't know there's anything particularly for sale that you're just like this lovely lady on the internet from Nashville who's putting all this lovely stuff out. But if they, when they take that step closer by reading your content and then that's the next bit. And then the next step forward is they're on your email list. Now they're starting to get invited to opportunities to move closer and closer to you. Basically, they're paying for access to join that sort of inner circle. But that makes me think about how many pieces of content you would put ahead in front of a promotion. So is that usually just one touch piece of content, get them on your list and move them through? What do you expect to be normal for in your experience? Uh, I hate to answer questions like this, but the the true and most accurate answer is it depends. Excellent. <laughs> right? Um, I, I think um, typically more expensive products or, or products that require more of a commitment in terms of money or time need a, a longer warm-up period. So I, I always remember there was... Um, 
an offering that I was helping them promote when I was with Copyblogger. And it was a pretty big financial commitment and a pretty big time commitment. And I had proposed to Brian Clark, I, you know, I want to start promoting this at the end of, at the beginning of July, and then we'll open the doors at the end of July. And there was some other promotion that they were doing, and they had to postpone it. So we weren't able to open the doors until mid-August. I mean, the warm-up period ended up being six weeks, almost two months. And I just kept talking about it and talking about it and sharing information, agitating it just a little bit and getting people onto an interest list. Well, they had the best launch and the best sales that they had ever had. They were almost twice what they had sold in the past for that particular product. So I am a believer that when you're asking people for a big commitment, it, it takes time. And I think it's also partly because there's just so much content out there. So you may feel like you're talking about it and talking about it ad nauseum, but the chances are people have only seen a small percentage of what you've actually put out there. Right. So don't be afraid to be a little bit repetitive while you're building up interest in something if it's big. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that thing of just saying, how deep does that relationship need to be? And when they're on your email list, are they receiving anything else from you apart from those blog updates? Are they receiving in between additional content, additional promotions between times? Or is it for the first bit, they're only receiving the sort of the thing they subscribe for, which is the, the blog update? They get the blog updates and then if they are in kind of this massive pool of people, so oftentimes I won't um, promote something to people who have just joined the list. I give them a little rest pe period while they consume the information they signed up for. But if they're in this pool of people who I think would be good candidates for something I have, then yes, I will reach out. But I, I typically don't necessarily send out kind of a sales email to my entire list. I usually invite people to something they can consume. And it's typically, I really enjoy doing webinars. Right. So typically it's something like that. It's a webinar or a webinar replay, something like that where I'm delivering more value mm. and they are opting in and saying, yes, I would like to learn more about that. Very cool. really, really interesting going from content, get it out there on the mailing list, then through to, an, to another piece of content, basically, which is the webinar, which puts them into sort of a room of and, and, a, and a time slot, a sort of time window, which says, this is an offer I can make you at this point. So it's a very sort of responsible moment of you're responsible at this moment in time. That's quite an very, very, very interesting. Well, now, you're basically waiting for them to raise their hands and say, yes, they would like to take the next step. Absolutely. I, that, that's all it is. And then, you know, when people have said that, then I personally feel a lot more comfortable selling them something because they have said, yes, this is something I want to know more about. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So for those of us who don't feel terribly comfortable selling, when someone has said, yes, I actually, this is, you know, it's like the um, offline equivalent of somebody walks in the front door of your storefront and it's like, well, clearly they're interested in what I have in this store. And so I'm going to help them to find what they need. Yeah. 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 It makes perfect sense. And for a lot of us who are afraid of that sort of selling bit, and because it's not why we got into business in the first place, it, it really, really helps because they're so qualified. They've, be, they've jumped through a number of hoops already and they're basically going, yes, I want to buy. Yes, I really, really want to buy from you. I really want to help with this. Please, for God's sake, just sell me something. 
then you're in a great place. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Now we're going to interrupt proceedings again for our second and favorite game of the episode. Here's how it works. My colleague Kennedy here. Hello. That's him. He's going to sing a song for you now, Pamela, but he's going to sing a song in the style of a traditional British pub singer, which means that some of the words may be confused and disguised, as will the tune. <laughs> Your job, Pamela, is simple, and dear listener at home, of course, is simply to guess what song Kennedy is singing. That was so nearly excellent. <laughs> it's, it's quite obvious. At the very beginning, that was great, and then it, it, it wasn't so great. Pamela, what song do you think that might have been? Oh, uh, I... I mean, clearly, I should have put my bottle of Patron on my desk and taken a shot of tequila before this call because... <laughs> you mean you didn't get the bottle of tequila with some you? We will have one. I know. It didn't arrive yet. And I, uh, yeah, I think if I had done that, I probably would get this right away. Yeah. Yeah. You want to have but a guess I, anyway, just to make a man feel happy about his contribution? We should have picked a really good country song, shouldn't we? Like a really I, good classic. Nashville song. Yeah. They do a Nashville yeah. song. Anyway. No. I mean, it sounds it sounds like a, a, a ship's drinking song. I, that's all I can say. <laughs> they all do. They all do. By the time five you... with ABC, it was what the Jackson Five ABC. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but don't sound so surprised, <laughs> Kennedy. I think you should keep your day jobs. Okay. Thank you so much. I think that's a compliment. <laughs> so. I guess it's so much fun though. As we start to wrap this up, I think this is so great this idea of having these three stages of the life cycle. So here's my question you know, we are listening to this and thinking, oh, we're somewhere in there. You know, like we've had the website for more than a year, say, so we're sort of past that phase. But maybe we didn't quite follow the rules that you've set down for that first year. So maybe we didn't quite do a great job of that first year. Okay, but we are technically past that year. So maybe we're in somewhere in the two to five. Other people listening to this might, that would be us. Other people listening to this might be in the six plus phase. So I guess the question at this point is kind of like, how do we jump in? Like, where, how do we analyze? Where, do we where Yeah, how do we analyze where we're at? Because we're because sadly we didn't come across your stuff right at the beginning of our journey. So, how do we work out where we are and how we slot into this process? I I do think it's worthwhile to review the phase that you have come out of. So, for example, you're past the first year. It's worthwhile to look at that first year information to see if there's something that you should go back and do, to see if there's some advice that you can go back and apply. And then once you've done that, then look closely at the stage you're in. And I think that people will, in the book, find advice for making the most of that stage mm. and really challenging themselves to develop as content creators so that they... Are, are doing their very best work at the stage they're in. Amazing. So kind of recap on where you should be. Make sure you've checked all the boxes and done all the stuff in that, in that previous phase and then find the ways to bring yourself up to the top of your game in this new phase. Is there really something good. for saying defining which phase you're in based on what you've done rather than literally the... The, the, the fiscal year that you've been doing it. So like in the first year, you might have only written one blog post. In and then you actually you, might have just, yeah. it might have been about turnips and you didn't do anything to do with your <laughs> at all. Whereas right. if, if like you go, actually, we're probably in, in year one of actually throwing some stuff around that we can monitor. And that, that's year one, then moving on. Or do you think it's more, or do you think that the actual year 
is more important and that gives us more information. What oh no, the, the year is not more important. They, oh. it, I'm actually, I mean, I, I wrote this as a guideline because there was nothing like this out there. And no. I, what I saw is that people were very confused. I mean, they were looking at advice that was for people who had websites and blogs that were 10 years old and trying to apply it to their brand new website. And I just didn't think that was fair. So I wrote this as a guideline to help to give people kind of an umbrella concept that they could look at. But absolutely, you need to look at your own situation and just see where you can plug in your current situation to this overall structure. That is a mic drop moment because I'm obsessive about reading. I read a book a week pretty much. I try and do more, but I try and do a book a week. And one of the things that's so, that just really sung to me just now that you just said was about you take the advice. It's so easy to look at advice, which is meant for somebody else. And by somebody else, I mean somebody who's further down the line, who has maybe more visitors than you, more experience than you, more exposure than you, more, I don't know, deeper pockets than you, more cash than you to invest in this stuff, or to try and go and take advice and try and apply it for people who are at a stage previous to you. And you're actually already through that phase. But if you try and apply anything that's in a phase that is not your phase right now, that's not going to be productive. And so the first thing we've all got to do then, it sounds, is we've got to figure out which stage you're in, Pamela, right? Yes, I do think that's a smart idea. And don't get too hung up on how many years you've spent doing it. I did, you know, in a perfect world, everybody picks up this book when their blog is brand new and they use it to kind themselves. But we don't live in that world. I don't anyway. And so, you know, you just look at it and you see where it makes sense for you to start learning from the information that's in there. So obviously, if you've had your website for two years, but you haven't really done much with it, then go ahead and get started with the year one things and start counting off that year and aiming for all those goals. Fairly easy summary, I think I can pull from this if I haven't totally misunderstood it, which is if Pamela's saying, if you start on day one with the book, which we'll talk about in a second, and then you say, right, I'm going to publish a piece of content a week for, for, for that first year, including two weeks off, that's 50 bits of content. So there's a, that's potentially a really good kind of benchmark to say, well, do you know what? In that first, I have been going for more than a year, but I've only written three blog posts. Maybe you've got another 47 to go before you kind you of- You haven't got point. at least like 26. Like if you could do it every other week, then you probably- need to uh, consider yourself in year one. Okay, amazing stuff. Before we let you escape this madness, let's rush on, dash over to what we lovingly refer to as the quickfire round. You don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers Podcast now on your podcast player. Apart from your own, give us a book that you recommend. I don't know if this has been recommended on your podcast before. There's a book called The 12-Week Year. Mm. Get more done in 12 weeks than others do in 12 months. Mm-hmm. And That's the authors are... I haven't read uh, it. Yeah. It is, it is, it's not a book that you read because it's, you know beautifully written. It's not sort of, you know, I can't put this down or anything, but the information is so good. Brian P. Moran and Michael Lennington. It is so good. And I've used it to get huge projects completed in a really short amount of time. So I recommend that book to my coaching client, to my membership community. It's one of the most popular books that I recommend. I love that. I love that. What's one of your top success habits? Something that you do regularly? 
One thing that I have started to do, well, I started to do it years ago, actually, is I spend about an hour every weekend looking ahead to the next week, and I just kind of map out what's going to happen on every day of the week. Hmm. Not hour by hour, but I just sort of say, you know, these are the three big things I'm going to accomplish on Monday, the three big things I'm going to accomplish on Tuesday. And these are the meetings I have. These are the podcast interviews I have to be at my mic for, things like that. So I just kind of map that out. And that way I can start on Monday morning with a good idea of what I need to focus on. So I really love doing that. Very cool. Can you give us a marketer or an entrepreneur that you look up to? Well, they're not necessarily marketers, but, and this is kind of a strange answer, but I have a community called the Big League. And I so admire the members of that community. They are people who are really smart in their own areas of expertise. So they have their own fields that they've done really well with. And, you know, just like the two of you, they're willing to go through the discomfort of learning something that is completely new and completely different. They're all trying to learn how to build an online business. So they're going through that process of feeling like beginners, asking a lot of questions, not feeling like they're doing it right. And these are people who are very accomplished in their own fields. So I just so admire that willingness to to just sort of be open and learn from experience. They, they bring this beautiful spirit of experimentation. So I love working with them. That is probably one of the most unique answers we've had to that question since the very beginning of this podcast. So what are some of your favorite apps that you think sort of run your life or you find really useful? I have one. I have lots of productivity apps and I'm sure people have rattled those off, but there's one that I really enjoy. It's called the five minute journal. Have you heard of it? Okay. So the five minute journal is, it's an app that's based on a book, but I love that it's an app because it's right there on my phone. It's right at hand. And it gives you a reason to pause and kind of recognize what you're grateful for. You can just type in a few lines every day and it gives you a place to add a photo. So if you're in a kind of an inspiring location, take a photo of that. If you're just grateful to be awake and having your first cup of coffee, you take, I have a lot of photos of my cups of coffee. (laughs) So, but it's just, it's, it gives you an opportunity to pause and say what was good, what is good right now. And, and at the end of the day, it gives you another reminder so you can look back and in some cases kind of reframe something that happened. This happened, but here's what was good about it, you know? So I, I love it. It's just a chance to, to just be grateful for what you have. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Big important question here, Pamela. Who do you like more, redhead Rob or platinum head Kennedy? I mean, I definitely like Kennedy more because he was the one that invited me to talk to the two of you. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, <that>. Rob. <laughs> Favoritism is alive and well. I'm gonna <laughs> Nothing personal, <laughs> Rob. So <laughs> finally, can you tell us where can people go to find out more about you, this fantastic new book of yours? Where, where should we be going? Well, my website is bigbrandsystem.com, but the page I would love to send people to is a page where I have all these goodies, all these free things that they can sign up for, kind of all together in one spot. So it's bigbrandsystem.com forward slash goodies, G-O-O-D-I-E-S. And that will take them to this page where they can register for all sorts of fun things. 
Amazing. Pamela's got the goodies. Thank you so much for that. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm going to go check it out myself in a second. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast and sharing your life cycle approach to content marketing and everything else as well. This has been so cool. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you. This was so much fun. I really love her concepts and frameworks for this stuff because content marketing is one of those things that has the ability to be a bit woolly when some people teach it. Uh, And of course, what we've been doing with this podcast is handpicking the very best. But Pamela has some really nice frameworks. I love her concept of very important content and all of that stuff Mm. so that you can kind of understand how everything connects. Because for me, with, with content marketing, that's always been the struggle is understanding, okay, great, I've got social media over there and I've got my blog here and you've got a podcast and how does that all fit? Uh, And so I think that framework gives you something solid to start building the pieces together. There was loads of frameworks in that. If you missed any one of them, I wouldn't blame you. Your your pen would be blazing hot. So head over to get the show notes on this. We made the full notes at blog.responsesuite.com slash 075. That's pretty much it for this week. Again, if you haven't already, do go ahead and leave us a quick review. Just head over to responsesuite.com forward slash iTunes. You can do it right there. See you next week, folks. Don't miss a thing. thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.